Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of the Every Outfit Podcast. Your voice sounds extra NPR today. I'm a little tired. Oh yeah, you've been traveling. How was the parents meeting the parents trip? Shit's getting real. My parents met Paul's parents. And it went well. I have no gossip. It wasn't like a meet the Fockers situation. It was not like the birdcage. It was not like meet the Fockers. Movies have lied to me because, of course, I only understand human experiences through cinema. (laughs) The funny thing is that's half true. (laughs) That's an accurate self-read for myself. I went to Santa Fe. I had never been there before. There was an Angelica Houston sighting, Chelsea, but I missed it. Wait, what? Paul's mom got into a conversation with Angelica Houston and I missed it. Wait, where was she? She was at a restaurant that we were eating at. I don't want to reveal its name. Why? (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. It's called Tia Sophia's. It was featured on CBS Sunday Morning, which they proudly have stated on the, the door, which my parents took to be like, well, of course, this is a valid restaurant. It's been covered on CBS Sunday morning. And then Paul's parents and my parents for 20 minutes talked about how much they love CBS Sunday morning. <laughs> That's great. Seems like it went really well. I love that you saw Angelica Houston. I saw her once at the restaurant at Fred Siegel. And by Fred Siegel, I mean Ron Herman. <laughs> Right. The original Fred Siegel building. I mean, I have a little bit of a name droppy story. I did drop a family friend off at Angelica Houston's house once. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because Paul's mom was like, well, you live in LA, so I'm sure you're friends with a lot of celebrities. And I was like, no, not even a little bit. Although, I guess I've technically been to Angelica Houston's house. That's major. How have you been? I mean, I've been fine. Like, haven't been going out a ton. I've been vaguely agoraphobic, but I have been leaving my house to see movies. I saw Female Trouble at the Academy Museum, which was really amazing. I feel like those early John Waters movies are like meant to be seen at movie theaters with a group of really unhinged homosexuals. So that was the correct vibe. And then I saw the restoration of Stop Making Sense at The Grove which was fab. I've seen videos of the theater experience. It looks amazing. Were people up and dancing? No. It was not that vibe at all. But who knew that concert films would be having such a renaissance in 2023? Because I went to the Grove for that, and I'm going back to see the Eras tour. And now I guess I have to go back to see Beyonce also. I was going to say lovely segue. Yes, hot off the heels of a distribution deal to bring Taylor Swift's filmed Eras tour to cinemas. AMC Entertainment will now bring a documentary of Beyonce's Renaissance album and tour to theaters. The film will appear in theaters only on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays for four weeks starting December 1st. So I can't wait for film bros to freak the fuck out when the Renaissance concert film knocks Killers of the Flower Moon out of the number one (laughs) box office spot. Because you know that's what's going to happen. I'm psyched for this because concerts are just so fucking expensive. You know, even my Uber back from the SoFi Stadium to my house is like $150, $200 with surge pricing. It's insane. Unlike Taylor Swift, who did do tier ticket pricing, Beyonce is charging a uniform price no matter if you're 6 or 66. It's $22 a ticket for a standard seat and $28 for IMAX, which made me want to ask, Chelsea, is that less or more than you paid for your Beyonce tickets? <laughs> 
God. I don't even want to talk about it. It was worth it, so I have no regrets. But I'm intrigued because apparently this will contain excerpts from the forthcoming Renaissance visual album, which apparently Nadia Lee Cohen directed. And that seems like such a perfect pairing of people. But it's like, why now? Like, I feel like Break My Soul came out like summer before last. Dropping a Renaissance visual album presumably after this AMC concert film seems like insane to me but I guess it's kind of like when during the pandemic she randomly dropped that Lion King visual album that we were all like wait what and why I took this as the concert film which will have footage from the Houston Texas show that she did last month behind the scenes footage and I assumed the visual album would be in this film parts of it But apparently she has a full-length visual album coming out in addition to this AMC thing. She also has a perfume coming out that is tied to the Renaissance album that is now available for pre-order. Did you pre-order it? No. I mean, I don't know what it smells like. Well, I find it interesting that she is indeed releasing a visual album after this concert film because I took it as someone who redefined what music videos could be by just dropping a full-ass visual album when you drop the record, that now that other people are doing this, she's like, well, and now I have to raise the stakes. This seems like it's going to be a trend, right? This doesn't seem like it's a fluke that Taylor Swift and Beyonce are doing this. It seems like more people will start pairing with AMC Entertainment to do concert films directly in theater. So I do love how singers are treating AMC theaters like their residencies now. <laughs> like, sure, sure. Thursday through Sunday, you can get my concert film. Crazy. So, Chelsea, while I was in Santa Fe, I was thinking of you because I saw there's a Stevie Nicks Barbie now. <laughs> I could not be more overjoyed. As someone that loves Stevie Nicks, she's one of my favorite artists, I have Tusk tattooed on my hand, and someone who loves Barbie and specifically collects celebrity Barbies, this is just so incredibly up my alley, and the way that she revealed this Barbie was so insane because she did it in quite a dramatic fashion in the middle of her concert at Madison Square Garden, which was just so funny. Lest you think it's Lindsay Buckingham coming out on stage, guess what? It's my new Barbie. So good. But the crazy thing is apparently she just kind of stood there with the Barbie for a few minutes and like talked as the Barbie to the audience. So the Stevie Nicks music series Barbie wears a beguiling black dress inspired by the legendary Rumors album as she holds her iconic tambourine. The Stevie Nicks Barbie doll is ready to groove on a moonlight stage with her flowy blonde hair, full textured bangs, and smoky eye. The accessories for the Barbie were very good. The tambourine, the little crescent moon necklace, which is her signature, the platform boots. She has a really, really tiny bag of cocaine that comes with the Barbie. (laughs) I'm joking, but I might have to try and make one. Cocaine sold separately. Because of the hype... And by hype, I guess I more mean mass hysteria around the Barbie movie. I hope that there will be more hype around the unveiling of the celebrity Barbies and that we'll continue to get better celebrities as Barbies. But also when I went to pre-order the Stevie Nicks Barbie, I looked at like, what are the other Barbies that they're making right now? And I sent this to you. There is a Vera Wang Barbie that is so shockingly realistic that I was quaking in my boots. 
to be fair, Vera Wang, and I think this is scientifically proven, has not aged in 40 years. So there is that. Even if you look at the Vera Wang Barbie versus the Stevie Nicks Barbie, the Stevie Nicks Barbie's face does not look exactly like Stevie Nicks's face. It's like a Barbie face that has been modified in certain ways so that it resembles Stevie. Vera Wang's Barbie's face is just her whole ass face. I know. Did you purchase that as well? I didn't purchase that, but I'm contemplating it. I did notice that the Stevie Nicks Barbie is now sold out. Did you get your order in? I did. Okay. I know you fuck with Barbie heavily, so I wanted to know who do you think Mattel should memorialize next? Potentially a Isabelle Huppert Barbie, a Kim Cattrall Barbie? I would love to see a Grace Jones Barbie. I think that would be really major. Oh, I mean, there's never been a Liza Minnelli Barbie. That also seems like something that really should happen. Because her mom, of course, was a Barbie. Is it because of the short hair? No, it's not because they have short haired Barbies. Like I, I have the Goldie Hawn and Laughing Barbie that basically has a Liza Minnelli haircut. Mattel, hire Chelsea. <laughs> Honestly, my dream gig. I only asked you this to tee up the next thing we were talking about, but you took this so seriously. You gave me multiple genuine answers, but <laughs> sorry, I was, I was trying to transition us into the fact that Kim Cattrall is now starring in a Skims campaign. Yeah, we usually lead with the sex in the city news. I don't know why we we bury this in the dock, but major. I mean, not the most major photos. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, this isn't Avedon. But we stan our queen. We love her. And personality-wise, she is such a perfect fit for Skims. And they continue to be so brilliant at casting and really meeting the moment with their ads. Cottrell starred alongside Hari Neff, Lana Condor, Coco Jones, and Nelly Furtado in the Best of Skims campaign which was accompanied with a video directed by Vanessa Beecroft. Of course, Kim has the most major lines. Let's play a clip here. How do I feel about Skims? Oh, you'd like to know, wouldn't you? (laughs) Freaking fabulous. Well, video is the medium in which she thrives. She knows why people have hired her. And so she brings that persona into this campaign. And by that persona, you mean the Samantha Jones persona. (laughs) Yeah, it's a facet of who she is, but I don't think it's necessarily who she is at her core. I did love seeing Kim in the long-sleeved slip dress, which is basically what I wear all winter long since I work from home. It is true. Because they were modeling like the most essential basic skims pieces, it wasn't that exciting from a fashion standpoint or a styling standpoint, but respect to skims as always. Right. It was more of a like, hey, stars, they're just like us. They wear the skims you wear. I heard that Kathy Bates is a skims fan. Oh, I thought you were going to say she's rumored to be in a Skims campaign, which honestly, I need that. Well, Kim did give a quote that was like, Kathy Bates wears Skims and I'm trying to get her. So she must have said no. But like, can you imagine how major that would be? I'm sure Kim called up Ryan Murphy and was like, can you hook this up? Could you imagine if that's the one reason that Kim Kardashian wanted to be on American Horror Story? She's Just like, to get to <laughs> Kathy Bates. <laughs> she thought that this was going to be one of those American Horror Story seasons that Kathy Bates was on. It was like, oh, fuck, it's only Emma Roberts. Well, I guess this will do. God damn it. Speaking of iconic divas, 
We totally forgot to talk about Angelina Jolie's Vogue cover, and we haven't addressed Atelier Jolie at all on the podcast somehow, which seems insane. It's been in our outline periodically for the last six months, and for whatever reason, we forget to talk about it, or we're like, eh, we'll get to it next time. Well, we also just have been holding out until there's been actual clothes that we can talk about. This collection still isn't out, but we did get a first glimpse of Atelier Jolie in this Annie Leibovitz Vogue shoot. It's not conservative. I guess it's just the a lot of the clothes are very neutral. They're simple. Yet we really don't discuss enough how bad Angelina Jolie's personal style is. <laughs> and I'm saying this as someone who is a stan that has loved her since Hackers. But since the mid-2000s, she has chosen to dress in a very bizarre Upper East Side older woman cosplay, and it makes me sad. She loves nothing more than a Max Mara coat in like a structured handbag. And a nude Christian Louboutin pump. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because it's so opposite from her image in the beginning. I would have never in a million years thought that Angelina Jolie would have ended up in this place. So Atelier Jolie, as far as we can tell, is very that Although in the article, when she describes what the brand is and what their concept store in New York is going to be, it seems very opposite of that because she bought this building that was like Basquiat's old studio and she's turning it into the Atelier Jolie concept store, which includes things like a coffee bar, upcycling services, whatever that means. There's apparently some part of the store where you can stud the clothing that you buy in the store. There's a lot of talk of spray paint in this article. So it's kind of like she wants to make these very simple clothes and then she wants you to like fuck them up with studs and spray paint and stuff. Yeah, it seems that Angelina Jolie thinks what's missing from the fashion world is just things that are well tailored that you can just fuck up afterwards. I will say there was one look in the Vogue photo shoot that did feel quite high fashion, which was a cream colored bustier and a matching pair of white satin gloves that were customized, that were covered with drawings from the artist Duke Riley. And that felt more upscale, I guess, or more specific. It does get into a conversation that has long been had in the fashion industry, which is in order to make more ecologically friendly clothing, it just comes at a luxury price point. I don't know if you noticed this. There's only one price listed for the Atelier Jolie clothing, and it's for a slip that will start at $300 that I guess you can also potentially patch up with a patch made of your own tattoos because at one point that's what Angelina Jolie is experimenting with at work. Well, here's the thing. It does cost money to make clothes ethically. That is a fact. And back in the day, it's like people used to have a few dresses, a few pairs of pants, a few shirts. They were all well-made, so they lasted. But now we're conditioned to think that we need to wear a new outfit every day and that that should be affordably priced, which is insane. So I'm not mad at the fact that it's expensive. I'm just curious to see how all of these seemingly disparate ideas will come together. Also, I think we should acknowledge that there is a Chloe collaboration with Atelier Jolie that she did with Gabriella Hurst. And we saw pieces from that. Again, they were very neutral and nonspecific. But I want to get into a quote that she gave in this article that was about her collaboration with Gabriella Hurst. She says, 
I'm not really someone that has girlfriends, so this has been an interesting jump for me, which is the biggest fucking red flag in the world. That also caught my attention. We say this as fucking Angelina Jolie stands, but that is the one thing as a longtime fan of hers that has always made me feel weird, which is she has been on the record for decades being like, I don't have girlfriends. Either she's one of those people that does not value friendship or female friendship specifically, which is crazy, or she's lying because she wants to identify herself as one of the boys, which is such a weird flex. It feels like internalized sexism, as if having female friends means that you're shallow because all we do is gossip and talk about our manicures and like blowjobs and stuff. Yeah, she also has this quote that feels like the fashion equivalent of like, I don't watch television, which is like, I have more books than clothes in my closet. I'm not someone who likes clothes to consume her life, and I don't love the idea of being influenced, which the influence part I understand, but it, I don't know. I feel like Khloe Kardashian when she said to Courtney when she was like, I don't watch TV, and she's like, who are you trying to impress? Well, it's also interesting because she says many times throughout this article, I really am not that interested in fashion or being a brand myself, despite the fact that this brand is called Atelier Jolie. She really wants to elevate other sort of creators, designers, craftspeople throughout the world. It's more of like an extension of her humanitarian work. We have seen celebrities, whether it's Victoria Beckham or the Olsen twins, do this with a fashion label. And essentially the only way to make it work is to have enough capital so that it lasts for 10 years and you can make it a good label. I mean, we don't even know what this brand is going to be like in the short term, let alone the long term. But I'm so curious to see what these clothes actually look like. Also, I think we should talk about another quote in this article where she says, I feel a bit down these days. I don't feel like I've been myself for a decade. Also very Khloe Kardashian. And she says about her family, we had a lot of healing to do and we're still finding our footing. So presumably in reference to the divorce from Brad Pitt, the ongoing custody battle the ongoing battle about their french wine estate miraval as an angelina fan i want her to find her footing and selfishly i also want her to take a film role that would otherwise go to kate blanchett yeah she was supposed to do that film with the guy that did spencer about maria Callas, which would be major which would be our favorite genre of film which is a woman losing her mind over a weekend she's busy studying slip dresses with gabriella hurst so <laughs> Who knows if we'll ever get that. Come November, we can go to Atelier Jolie. We can make a pilgrimage. Another thing we didn't talk about was Sarah Burton's last show at McQueen. And now it feels worthwhile to speak about because now there's a new creative director. Yes. I thought that show was beautiful. A lot of vaginal dresses. Very Judy Chicago. She was certainly making a statement with her last collection, which now feels even more profound now that Sean McGeer has been announced to replace her, and also the realization that the fashion community has had over the last week that basically every Keurig designer is a man. And by basically, you mean literally every caring designer is a man, specifically a white man. Disturbingly, they all look like each other as well. They all have like a five o'clock shadow, except for this new guy, Sean McGeer, who is an Irish gay who worked at J.W. Anderson, Dries... Burberry. So we don't really know what his look is. And I'm excited to find out. But he does not yet have the five o'clock shadow. Oh, just wait till his first collection and he does his walk. Also, at LVMH, there's only two 
female designers at Dior and Pucci and the Pucci appointment happened like a season ago or something like that. Rachel Tashin wrote a great article about this for the Washington Post that I will link to in the show notes. It is extremely depressing. And I always feel bad because two of the most major houses, Dior and Chanel, actually do have female designers, but like we just never fuck with them. Yeah, look, it pains us that the two female designers at the most prominent fashion houses are just not designing good collections. Yes, but I've long thought that fashion is sexist. Like most of the times that I look at fashion shows, I think like, who the fuck is this for? And don't get me wrong, I love the fantasy of of it all, but it seems like a lot of designers are designing for the red carpet, designing for the runway. They're not thinking about clothing as something that is supposed to be lived in. And that's why Phoebe Philo was such a hit at Celine. That's why the Olsen twins are so beloved. Because they're making clothes that are high fashion, but they're also solution-based. Anyway, I think that Sarah Burton went out on a high note, so good for her. Yeah, I think maybe a slight counterpoint to not enough female designers being at this fashion houses is the female independent designers are wise enough that they don't want to be in that corporate machine, as highlighted by Kathy Horn's article. No, but there are female designers at all of these houses, You know, they're just not promoted to head designer the way that these guys are all promoted. They're definitely there. That's true. They're just not famous to begin with. They don't have their own labels. And a lot of the brands that we think about as having female designers are independently owned, like Stella McCartney. Moving on to other Paris Fashion Week stuff, Balenciaga came roaring back with a really great show. I don't even know where to start because there were so many interesting elements at play. This show, in many ways, was a reaction to Demna's last Balenciaga show. Last ready-to-wear show. Right, which felt too polished and, frankly, conservative because it was a reaction to all the catastrophic Balenciaga ad controversies of 2022. Yes, it was very, like, stripped-down, inoffensive... And this felt like, you know, he was back to being Demna, really. The clothes, I think, were the most exciting thing about the show, but the casting was just so incredible. The show featured a lot of fashion industry insiders, like our fave Kathy Horn, who was the fashion critic for the New York Times for 10,000 years and is now at the cut. Has her journalistic integrity been compromised? 110%, but I think it's fine. I don't know. I don't think so, because she tells it like it is. Like, if something's ugly, she will tell us, and that's why we stand this queen. But also, I kind of want a really great writer like that to have that experience and report back. She has yet to drop the article, but I can't wait for it. The casting of the show was meant to represent the people that meant the most in Debna's life, professionally and personally. So Debna's mother was also featured in the show. She opened the show. I loved seeing Inga Grognard, the legendary makeup artist, Diane Pernay, who's one of the OG fashion bloggers and has been a fixture at fashion shows for 10,000 years or since the 80s, I guess. Amanda Lepore. I almost like my brain couldn't compute it. It was so major. It was so cool. She's someone that is no stranger to a runway. She's been modeling in New York Fashion Week shows for ages, but she's never been on the runway of such a major and established 
established luxury brand, which is really fucking cool. And like, it's great that trans models are more commonplace now, but it's so rare that the OGs ever get their due, which is why it's so special seeing people like Amanda at this show and Connie Fleming at Mugler. It's just, it's cool. So the collection had the usual suspects, layered trench coats, stop making sense, giant shouldered blazers, <laughs> inky bodycon gowns that frankly, Angelina Jolie should start fucking with. Yeah, Angelina Jolie really should do Balenciaga evening wear. She should get the facial prosthetics from Maleficent back <laughs> and then wear those insane glittering dresses. Our spiritual mother, Isabelle Huppert, soundtrack the show? It wasn't really a song. She was reading out how to tailor a jacket in French. Yeah, but she came like increasingly frustrated. And by the end, she was almost like hysterical explaining how to make this jacket. It was basically her character from Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, <laughs> but like in the Balenciaga atelier. Afin de conserver l'arrondi de la poitrine, les hauts des revers sur le coussin, en les écrasant sur les dix premiers centimètres, le col sur le coussin, afin de l'ajuster définitivement. I have to ask, was Kim Kardashian at the show because she didn't walk, I didn't see her in the audience, but there's that photo of her with wet hair. Yeah, that was added to Vogue Runway after the fact, or when they uploaded the photo. She didn't actually walk in the show, and actually they did that once before in the show that was like a film premiere where they screened the Simpsons film. They did the same thing. She wasn't actually at the show, but like the photos of her in the exact same setup as the rest of the models were added. I guess it's just kind of like the Balenciaga equivalent of like a B-side or something that's added after the fact. It does make me laugh at the height of the Balenciaga controversy when Kim Kardashian had to give a statement. She's like, I'm just reevaluating my relationship. And now it's like, clearly she's like, well, that controversy died down. I'm back. She's fully back. And Kris Jenner was at the show. I think Kris Jenner had the best fashion week. She hit a lot of the big shows. It was fun to see her and Corey, you know, traipsing around Paris. Living their best lives with the Kardashian cameras. Back to Kathy Horn for one second <laughs> before we move on. I want to bring attention to something which we've never talked about before. This was actually not Kathy Horn's first collaboration with Balenciaga because before we had a podcast, Harmony Kareen made this short film for Balenciaga that was called The Lost Tape. And basically, I guess there was like a gap year before Nicholas Gesquier took over at Balenciaga. So the concept of this video was like a lost fashion show from the 90s that was like never seen before. And in this video, Kathy Horn and Diane Pernay play themselves in the 90s in like a fake fashion television segment. I will add the link to this in the show notes. It is so good. It's like one of the best fashion films I've ever seen. And especially watch it if you're into like Margiela because it, it references those early fashion shows. Anywho, moving on. So Chelsea, it would seem that Ray Kawakubo listens to the podcast because this Comme des Garcons collection is not giving, as you would call it, clinical depression. It's still kind of giving clinical depression, but this show to me is like when you have clinical depression, but you're like soldiering on and trying to be optimistic about life despite the fact that you're carrying around the burden of depression with you every day of your life. It's about seeing the good in spite of the bad. I would say that this collection is also quite funny or as funny as a comb collection can be. There's these almost Hawaiian floral prints 
the repeated print of like Flemish children's faces on those giant dresses, the red tulle and like gold brocade outfit towards the end that just look like a Happy Meal. I personally love when Ray gets really girly and psychedelic and you know in the past I have complained about the fact that I miss the old Comme de Garçon collections that contain actual clothing and not just these big like wearable poofs but I feel like with this collection she really put her whole pussy into it and I don't care that these clothes have no discernible purpose because when you go to Dover Street Market like she's making like the actual clothes that people wear. She's just incredible. She's an artist working at the highest level that there is. And and it's a beautiful thing. Here's to happier collections in the future, but somehow I doubt it. Speaking of artists working on the highest level, Margiela was amazing. When Kathy Horn was bemoaning where all the fashion went, she was referring to John Galliano because no one does it like him. Like Ray, I think Galliano has always been very deft at juxtaposing the masculine and the feminine and using deconstruction to make us question the nature of clothing and gender and perhaps life itself. And I love everything about that. And also it's clear that John Galliano has always had certain fashion tropes that he's obsessed with, right? The 1950s silhouette, tailoring, those falling apart tool gowns, but he's bringing a modern aesthetic to it. And that's what I think good fashion should be. Absolutely. This is what I want to see when a designer inherits an existing luxury brand because he's not just curating the Margiela archive so that it meets the current fashion climate. I feel like he looks at kind of the big picture themes and just interprets it in his own way. And also I feel like with Margiela shows especially, it's really so much better to watch the videos because there's just so many textures and details and the silhouettes are always so bizarre and it just like does not come through on Vogue Runway in the same way. People should also watch the runway video of this Margiela show for the now viral walk that Colin Jones gave during the show. Yeah, I feel like there's always like... I don't know what to call it, extreme modeling at these shows. <laughs> like there's always one model in a Maison Margiela show that looks fully insane. That looks like more like someone that's like roaming the streets looking for prey, you know, than a model per se. Right. Or their walk resembles a sort of regional production of West Side Story, but like in a really... <laughs> Fabulous In way. a Paris Fashion Week kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great show. Moving on to Louis Vuitton. Has hell frozen over because Nicholas Gesquier put a long flowy skirt on the runway and I almost spit out my morning coffee. Sure, why not? It's a very 80s by way of early aughts look, especially those long flowy skirts with the, the almost bomber jacket, oversized bomber jacket. Yeah, it's weird how obsessed with the 80s he is. It's like on one hand, he's obsessed with like really drab, sporty pieces like windbreakers and stuff. And then on the other hand, it's like he's obsessed with this like hyper conservative, like old, rich Republican woman vibe. Like half of these jackets at the end of the show are things that like Nancy Reagan would straight up wear if given the chance to. Absolutely. He also presented a new silhouette but for your feet, which is just like your big toe out and everything else covered, but you're wearing white tights. On one hand, I appreciate that he's a proper fashion designer. Like he's more about 
designing clothes than being a creative director per se. And he has created a really distinctive look, but it is a look that just doesn't work on most people unless you're like the hot girl from Squid Game or like one of the Heim sisters. Or clothing that only looks good on Jennifer Connelly. Moving on to Lueve. As someone who doesn't fuck with this movement towards low-rise jeans... I do appreciate his Steve <laughs> Urkel-style high-waisted pants. Yeah, it's kind of like the high-fashion version of Pat from Saturday Night Live, but on a very thin person. <laughs> if they turned to the side, they would disappear. Sorry, that's a millennials and above reference. Yeah, it seems like he's pivoted away from the surrealism themes that dominated the past few collections. Now he's back on his like weirdo bullshit. You know, and I think a big part of that for him is coming up with these really extreme proportions that like no other designer would attempt because they're so insane, yet somehow they work. And I think that was the case with these empire waist pants, basically. Yeah, it was a lot of that. And then another recurring theme were these gigantic, thick knit capes that I have to imagine was inspired by Lenny Kravitz's giant scarf. (laughs) Well, they were very cocoon-like. And you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice the use of my arms for fashion and comfort. So I'm into them. That's what you actually want to wear when you're depressed because it's the closest thing to like not getting out of bed in the morning. It's kind of the closest you can get to a weighted blanket in your waking life. Yeah, they looked cozy as fuck. I'm into it. There was also a couple of trenches that seemed to be integrated with a bag. Where it's like the bottom of the one half of the long trench went over your shoulder and into a bag. Hmm. I couldn't tell by the detail shots if this was all one thing or potentially an optical illusion. I didn't notice that. And again, this is why we should all just be watching videos of fashion shows instead. The problem is we didn't go to Butter Nails this week. (laughs) Butter Nails, our favorite nail salon in West Hollywood, which is constantly playing fashion television YouTube channel. Yeah, it's it's the best place ever. On to another brand that also has very distinctive proportions. Mew Mew. I mean, Mew Mew's back to geek chic, baby. And thank God, because obviously they're good at that, like, little girl look. But I like when Mew Mew is on the sportier geek chic side of things. And I feel like these clothes were really fantastic, but Loda Volkova's styling is exceptional. The fact that she somehow manages to reference sagging in a Mew Mew show and it is neither cringe nor offensive is a huge feat in and of itself. Oh no, is sagging back? Is that what you're telling me? Sagging is back at the Paris runways for sure. There was also sagging in the Scaparelli show, which is insane because... Both of these brands are brands that you would never think would draw any sort of inspiration from hip-hop fashion, but here we are. But back to Mew Mew, I was so thrilled to see like Daiki Mew Mew looks. Also, Troy Savon being a Mew Mew model was so beautiful to see because men deserve Mew Mew too. You know, twinks need Mew Mew. That's gay rights. Bravo. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, not to insult the Mew Mew aesthetic, but it definitely had this Mew Mew meets Bruce Weber late 90s era Abercrombie vibe to it. It's like the shortest of a tulle short with like a baggy green polo shirt. Yeah, I agree. It was a little bit Abercrombie. On to Scaparelli's hip hop collection, (laughs) which... 
actually wasn't. There was literally one look, but still. Yeah, Daniel Roseberry has certainly established himself with couture for this ready-to-wear collection. It feels like he finally felt comfortable to break out the lobster motif. I know he's done this in the couture collections, but never in ready-to-wear. For those who don't know, the label's namesake, Elsa Scaparelli, famously made a dress with a lobster painted on it. For this collection, that was interpreted as a 3D lobster integrated into, like, the ruching of a skirt, which gave more of, like, an H.G. Geiger effect to it. It was also giving crab as well. There was a lot of seafood represented in this collection. I also really liked the fish motifs throughout this collection. Yeah, it was giving Mediterranean diets. <laughs> so Mediterranean diet. It took me a minute to get into Scaparelli, but now that I'm here, I'm really happy because I feel like, weirdly enough, there aren't that many designers that are interested in doing this kind of like highly traditional, over-the-top sort of glamour. But like Gautier before him, he's fucking shit up and making it slutty and adding a lot of humor into the clothes, and they're gorgeous. But they are purposefully absurd. Yeah, I'm thinking about the blazer with the measuring tape and cigarettes affixed to them. Yeah, I mean, walking around with a giant crab on you is just a crazy thing to do. Yeah, but that's what we've been longing for, is just for people to be more eccentric. Yeah. I did also like the painted Scaparelli in red. Oh, it was supposed to look like spilled nail polish. Right. They created the word Scaparelli. Normally, I am super horrified when brands that shouldn't put giant logos on their clothes put giant logos on their clothes because it seems really sad and it seems like a sort of cash grab response to the streetwear craze. But this was done so well that like you just couldn't even say shit. Yeah, it did feel like a satire of Logomania while also just like legit being a good, gorgeous, museum-worthy piece, for sure. On to Mugler. The Mugler woman is truly a hard bitch, is my main (laughs) takeaway from his entire tenure at this brand. He said in the show notes that the H&M collection was basically his goodbye song to those spiral bodysuits and jeans that they become known for. But I feel like this collection is still really close to that. Just because he didn't have the spiral jeans doesn't mean that the look isn't pretty much identical. I think the idea that he brought to this collection is something I'm calling thoughty conservative where it's like you're covered up on top but you're wearing the shortest skirt possible yeah I feel like he is drawing inspiration from like buttoned up like not workwear but just yeah what you would wear to an office or something but then it's like he's taking you from the office to the club with these clothes 1980 sexual harassment office <laughs> yeah no I think there were a lot of wearable pieces he also had some fantastical looks that honored Mugler's design ethos while also pushing forth new ideas for the brand yeah I think the new idea here was the resin pieces especially the ones that were worn at the waist that almost like emulated a padded hip or something but I don't know I just kind of want something new from him To me, it's not really far enough away from what he's done in the past. And don't get me wrong, he's an excellent creative director and he's created a highly specific look and he's hired all of the correct people to execute this particular vision. But I don't know. I just would like a little bit of evolution, especially post H&M collab. You hear that, Casey? You're on notice. (laughs) On to... Vicara. This collection really felt like the designers rewatched season three and season four of Sex in the City before designing it. Oh, absolutely. We've got rosettes worn as ankle monitors, pinstripe vests with tracksuit boleros, white chaps over neoprene leggings. 
I mean, this is Carrie Bradshaw incarnate. It's also very Miguela Drover, who they've made no secret of the fact that they're very inspired by him. But that was also going on in New York in the same period. So I do think that they brought a lot of New York City to Paris with this particular show. Also, it was truly insane to see them resurrect the come the fuck down hat. I saw that and I was like, surely this is my dyslexia. This is not what I think it is. Well, that's one of those things that in our head we think like that happened five years ago, but it really happened 10 years ago. And for those of you who aren't familiar, a decade ago, people were wearing these hats that were a logo flip of the Come to Garçon logo, but it said, come the fuck down. So it's very funny of them to resurrect something that happened not that long ago, but it's especially funny because... Dover Street Market produces their clothes now. They are one of those brands. So they are within that family now. So it's just extra meta for them to shine a light on this particular piece. Yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait and see if they actually reproduce them. Rick Owens, speaking of other Americans in Paris. And another so-called gloomy designer who asked himself, why am I so fucking sad all the time? (laughs) Well, I love him because his mindset feels very nihilistic, but then he kind of brings it back with this, yeah, sense of beauty, sense of joy, what have you. And for a designer that's so identified with the color black, when he does do color, it's it's truly so masterful. Yeah, this collection was inspired by the fact that he went to a Bjork concert and legit was like, why am I not more positive? <laughs> also, when we were doing our And Just Like That episodes, I described one of Charlotte's gallerina colleagues as a gothic pterodactyl because she was wearing a Rick Owens jacket with these extreme molded bony shoulders. And gothic pterodactyl is everywhere in this collection. It's giving also Dune as well with those head coverings. Yeah, but it is impressive that in a landscape of fashion designers that are constantly trying to find a shoulder that is specific to them he really has found it no one else is making clothes like this you know it's rick owens the second you see it it's a shoulder pad that gets you closest to heaven (laughs) okay another american brand that showed in paris was christian cohen and uh i question why he felt the need to show in paris Like, Europeans should not be subjected to fashions of this nature. Oh, you thought it was beneath them? I think so. I feel like this is one of those brands that should only exist in New York. Like, he is a British designer, but it feels like a very New York club kid kind of brand. And to me, this collection felt like Valentino, but for club kids. Right. You didn't want a Paris audience to witness a gigantic hairball get lost on stage. (laughs) Yeah, guys, I'm sure you've seen it on TikTok, but one of the looks was a wearable sculpture, essentially, but it was just an orb covered in fake fur, and clearly whoever was inside this could not see it all, and ran into the front row, ran into Sam Smith, who is Christian Cohen's partner, who was performing. It was so Zoolander. It felt like a fashion show that was in a movie, that wasn't a real fashion show. Like, it felt like a satire of a fashion show. But I think it was completely serious. But the furball getting lost on stage, not intentional. Not intentional. No, that was just the magic of fashion. A lot of rosettes going on in this collection. It's like the, the rosettes by way of recent Valentino collections was what it felt like to me. Also, the disco ball 
was very like because there was one model that was just wearing a disco ball and that felt very like I pitched this to Beyonce's stylist for the Renaissance tour but it got rejected so I put it in this collection anyway would you be psyched or bummed if you were a model that showed up for the runway show and you were like so this is what I'm wearing I would definitely be bummed in contrast to that, and to wrap up our Paris Fashion Week discussion, I want to give a shout out to Yoji Yamamoto, who turned 80 this month. His collection was astoundingly beautiful. And that is not the kind of show that we often talk about on the pod because there's no celebrities in the show. There's no viral moment. There's no extremes. He's just making gorgeous black dresses. And that's what he does. And he's amazing. And also, Izzy Miyake's show was fantastic. Stunning. And similarly, not screaming for attention. So good for them. Yeah, guys, see, we do actually like things. It's just not very interesting to talk about. So we usually don't. Well, it's hard enough talking about clothes on a podcast because (laughs) it's just not a visual medium and it's always hard for us. But, you know, so it's easier to talk about things that people have seen online. Anyway, speaking of chronically online people... Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. You're just a witch, and I hate you. (laughs) Of course, after last week's iconic Kardashians episode, we had to incorporate the now, I would say, famous You're a Witch and I Hate You into our Kardashian theme song. Yeah, and we thought that that could replace the Kanye ha at the end because a lot of people have messaged us wanting us to remove it from the theme song. So that was our initial thought process behind switching it up. It just wasn't the same without the ha. We had to put the ha back in. So now we have this new Frankenstein theme. I like it. I mean, I think it really invokes where we're at (laughs) with our relationship with the Kardashians. Of course. So we want to start with an oversight from last week about our discussion vis-a-vis Courtney and Kim's fight, which is Travis's memoir that he published in 2016, in which he talks about in great detail this crush that he had on Kim Kardashian. We knew about his book. We have mentioned that on the podcast before, but there are a couple of other details about Kim and Travis's history that we did not know that we learned this week via Tracy Egan Morrissey's Instagram stories. So she is a podcaster and arguably a master of the medium of Instagram stories. She previously did this insane Instagram story about Jamila Jamil having Munchausen. It was really incredible. Frankly, we need to expand the Pulitzer categories to reflect where we're at with social media because, yes, she does truly investigative Instagram story pieces. Yes, and she recently did one about Kravis where she presented some evidence that suggested that Kim and Travis did sleep together. And those two things were the fact that Aubrey O'Day posted an Instagram story saying that she was friends with Kim when he was hooking up with Travis. And then there was a separate occasion where Travis's ex-wife threw a drink at Kim Kardashian at a party, which is a crazy move for someone that your husband isn't fucking. Yes, it's presented in Travis's memoir as a parenthetical that is obviously meant to make his ex-wife look crazy. But I agree with you. It's like you wouldn't do that unless they definitely fucked. Yeah, in his book, he says that him and his ex-wife were on a break. But other people have said like, no, he was just straight up cheating. And he also cheated on his wife with Paris Hilton, with other people as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a Russian nesting doll of shitty behavior because 
he was either not separated or separated from his wife, dating Paris, then met Kim through Paris when Kim was in her organizing Paris Hilton's closet and selling stuff on eBay days. And that was the roots of the obsession. Although in his memoir, he says nothing happened. Now, I have seen people point to this directly and say this is why Courtney is mad at Kim, but I think it's just a multitude of factors. I think it's also the fact that Courtney is the eldest child, but is not treated like the leader of the family. Sure. But I also think Courtney is right about her own family's obsession with fame and the next level. However, Courtney picking Kim apart about that, it's not as if Kim isn't upfront about wanting to be photographed, searching for fame, literally going to parties so she could be photographed. And yes, Kim has her businesses, but it's not as if she's as selfish as she used to be. I mean, she's literally using her fame to help wrongfully convicted prisoners get out of prison, get off of death row. Yes, and we love her for that. This also really makes us understand the Dolce and Gabbana fight more because when Kim is saying, I was married in Italy, then she got married in Italy. Andrea Puccelli performed at my wedding, then he performed at her wedding. We wore the same dress. She's also saying, and you married some guy that I fucked like a decade ago. Like, you freak. I've seen a lot of people point to a clip from, I believe, last season or two seasons ago when Chris says to Courtney that Travis went to her and said, you know, the reason I moved here, we're led to believe it's Calabasas, was for Courtney. And people go, well, no, in his memoir, he talks about how he literally moved to Calabasas to be closer to Kim. I think what Travis was saying is that, which is true, he moved to the same gated community as Courtney to be closer to her. So that's just me debunking this thing that I've seen online. And if this is in fact true, that certainly explains a lot. Yeah, but it's a multitude of of factors. In other Kardashian news, Kenny really dominated Paris Fashion Week. She closed Scaparelli. She walked at Victoria Beckham. And she did that weird L'Oreal fashion show that we always pretend, try to pretend doesn't happen, but does for some reason. Yeah, which one do you want to tackle first? Let's do L'Oreal because I know that they always do some sort of big thing, but like why and what is it? So this is the sixth year that they've done this fashion show. I know we've discussed it before, but we just... It's like a men in black pen in front of our eyes. We forget it every <laughs> fashion week. I don't know. According to the press release, this fashion show is to empower women. I guess they're doing that by having Helen Mirren have giant hair and walk with Elle Fanning down the runway in front of the Eiffel Tower. Look, they have the budge, so why not do some crazy shit? I know that people made fun of Kendall's walk at Scaparelli, and she doesn't have the fiercest walk, but she was clearly instructed to walk in that almost like Mars Attacks hauntingly slow way on the runway. Amanda Laporte at Balenciaga also quite Mars attacks. Maybe it's the season of a Mars attack walk. And then lastly, she walked at the Victoria Beckham show. I just gotta say, fuck the roification of Kendall. We need the Jenna Lyonsification of Kendall. Wait, what? Oh, because she wore like glasses. Or did she wear glasses? Yeah, she wore giant Jenna Lyons glasses and a blazer with no top underneath. It was giving Jenna Lyons on The Real Housewives. Okay, now I just want Jenna Lyons to walk in the show. I feel like Victoria Beckham is a brand that could benefit from having some older models since it purports to be for 
career focused women. There was a hubbub that Anna Wintour's pissed off at Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, quite like Kylie, arrived 50 minutes late to the show, forcing Anna Wintour to leave while Victoria Beckham was doing her walk, which we just have to say, this isn't a fuck you to the designer. She's literally just like programmed down to the minute. She doesn't have the time. I think that was really overblown. In other Kendall news, her and Bad Bunny are the face of Gucci's latest campaign. All right, now I really do believe they're a PR couple. I do too. I'm not one that believes in a lot of like just pure PR couples. I think most couples are in Hollywood are legit together, but probably using their fame and calling the paparazzi on themselves. I do think Kris Jenner made up this relationship. And I think these ads are boring. It just sucks that like... Gucci wants to be this boring. And when we talked about their show last week, I did say this is reverse engineered for Kendall Jenner. And as it turns out, I was right because that is exactly who this brand envisioned wearing these clothes. And that's exactly who this brand wants people to see wearing Gucci. I think the other puzzling thing for me is Gucci is really doubling down on their luggage. Cause the, the idea of this is Kendall and Bad Bunny in an airport having some fun during a layover I'm, I'm not exactly sure but they have you know their gucci bags of course but their gucci luggage like last year ryan gosling was their luggage spokesman like what feedback did they get that it's like we are moving luggage fuck the clothing we have to move duffel bags buying designer luggage that's like when you're on a different level of wealth i think that's different than buying a handbag or a lipstick or a pair of shoes that's like you have the lifestyle that goes along with that not just sort of like a token item here and there that signifies wealth or whatever buying designer luggage is dumber than me getting the aluminum away luggage <laughs> Okay, the aluminum away luggage is not major. I disagree with that. I don't think it's crazy to buy designer luggage. You have to be on a level of wealth that it doesn't matter if it gets lost or scuffed or it's replaceable. Also, I think it means your jet-setting lifestyle is that you're on a private jet, as Kenny is. Yes, as Kenny is so often. Um, That's it. (laughs) Sorry, guys. There was just too much to cover this week. We didn't watch this week's Kardashians, and we're behind on American Horror Story. Yeah. I'll catch up for the next step for sure. Catch up with a K. All right. It was lovely talking to you, my dear. As always. Oh, is this your sign that you want me to get the fuck out of your house? Yeah, get out of my house, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.